leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. age, their bodies lose the ability to regenerate as well as they were able to when they were younger. Alkahest believes this is tied to changes in the mix of proteins that are present in the blood as we age. It is developing therapies for diseases of aging that seek to target specific proteins that are upregulated in diseases of aging, as well as providing a wide set of proteins drawn from purified human plasma as a therapeutic approach to counter the depletion of regenerative proteins. We spoke to Elizabeth Jeffords, Chief Commercial and Strategy Officer for Alkahest, about the science underlying the company's approach, the controversy around others who have offered so-called young blood transfusions, and the pipeline the company is pursuing. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about the plasma proteome aging and the therapeutics Alkahest is developing for neurodegenerative and other diseases of aging. Let's start with the plasma protein, though. Can, can you describe what that is and what it includes? What, what happens to it as we age? Sure. Well, you know, Alkahest is really inspired by the research conducted by its co-founder, who's Tony Weiss Corey out of Stanford. And he showed originally that plasma from young mice could restore some functional drivers in aged mice. And, of course, that in, um, sort of intrigued many people, and he went on to study that more and looking at plasma. What Alkahest has done is taken that work another step further, and we've done a full human proteomic analysis around the proteins that are in our plasma. So we took samples from healthy volunteers everywhere from 17 years old to 70 years old. And we looked at those, those uh, volunteers' plasma in cohorts, and we just looked at the, what happens over time with the proteins. And in fact, some of the proteins just stay pretty much the same, but about 10 to 15 percent either go up or go down quite precipitously as we age. So, and, and some of those, you can imagine the ones that go up, unfortunately, tend to be the ones that are more detrimental to us. The ones that go down tend to be the things that really have some of the regenerative properties. So we've taken those that we call chronokines. Those are the proteins that change with age. And we're trying to use those to be therapeutic targets for diseases of aging. There are people who've sought to exploit this connection by offering young blood transfusions to aging clients looking to be rejuvenated or, or fight off a, a range of ailments. The 
FDA recently issued a warning that there's no proven clinical benefit for such transfusions. Can you explain what Alkahest is doing and how that differs from what the FDA was cracking down on? Sure. I think we're all feeling the urgency of aging, right? And everybody would love to have a quick and easy solution. But at Alkahest, we are really focused on developing FDA-reviewed, FDA-oversight, et cetera, therapeutic modalities that go through rigorous clinical testing. So when we look at our, our protein fractions, these are plasma, they are indeed from plasma, but they are plasma fractions, so they're a very selected set of proteins that we're giving to our human subjects in our clinical trials. And so if you, if you can imagine there's about 10,000, 15,000 proteins in plasma, the plasma fractions that we're looking at are, tend to be about 400 or 500 proteins in total. And we think that those are the beneficial proteins. So, so two things to think about when you think about um, what Alcast is doing and how, how it's a little bit different than maybe some of the stories you've heard. First is that, like I mentioned, in our human plasma, as we age, uh, even, even when we're at a young age, we have very beneficial proteins and we have harmful proteins. And they're both needed for regular human homeostasis. But what we're trying to do is really select for just having the positive factors. So that's one thing. The other thing to think about is that with plasma, and plasma donation is used all the time in surgical uses and uh, sort of trauma and emergency use, but it's used when you really have that risk benefit in mind. And in fact, plasma actually contains a fair amount of things that could be dangerous, particularly in more elderly or more immunocompromised patients. It contains all of the sort of blood coagulants. That you could, that you probably heard about when you think about hemophilia. So the sort of factor eight, factor tens, that kind of thing. And of course, in a, in a sort of an elderly population, you don't really want to be giving extra coagulants. And then it also, it, it contains the immunoglobulins. And also you have to deal with sort of a, a cross-typing and matching plasma. So we think this approach of, of giving just the plasma fraction, just the proteins that are needed without the sort of risk of giving whole plasma is probably the right way to go. You've identified a, a number of what you call the chronokines, the, the, the proteins that are either increased mm-hmm. or decreased in aging or certain age-related diseases. How well have you been able to establish the relationship between the upregulation or downregulation of any protein and, and their involvement in specific diseases of aging? So I can tell you about one that we're working on that we're really excited about. The protein or the target is eotaxin. And that's a very pleiotropic or sort of multi-effect protein that impacts a lot of inflammatory processes in the body. And we now have a molecule towards CCR3, which is its receptor. And in targeting and inhibiting that receptor, we're blocking some of the effects of that eotaxin. So we just had phase 2A studies in age-related saturation complete. And we announced in December the top-line data, uh, which was very positive, that we actually improved visual acuity in patients that had access to that medicine. And that was just as a monotherapy. And this so we'll is, be announcing the full data from those studies in the spring and summer. This is an inhibitor of CCL11, is that right? CCL11 is the protein. We're actually inhibiting the receptor for that protein, the G-coupled protein. What does inhibition of that receptor do? The inhibition of that receptor is thought to take down some of the inflammatory processes that we see with aging. And we see that inflammatory process happen 
in a number of disease states. It happens particularly studying it in AMD, but we're also studying the molecule in Parkinson's disease and also some peripheral neurological diseases as well. So, is so we hope that that reduction in inflammation is actually very profound in terms of treating the disease. Is that part of the complement system, or what does that protein do normally? Well, I think you might be going beyond my scientific expertise, honestly. It is actually, it's, it's interesting because eotaxin is not found in huge quantities in sort of healthy or younger um, people. In fact, it, it is sort of upregulated in aging and a number of the, these uh, sort of neurodegenerative diseases. So it is thought to be part of the inflammatory cascade, but I don't believe it's a complement to What's the clinical path forward? We're really excited about the path. Yeah, sure. The path forward for this molecule, which is called AKST4290 or 4290, is to continue testing it. So we, I mentioned we had phase 2A results that were positive from that, from that molecule. So now we'll be looking to do a phase 2B study in age-related macular degeneration. And our next step is to test this in the placebo-controlled environment. Because we want to make sure that we understand what the molecule is doing uh, versus versus sort of standard uh, treatment or standard controls. You also have a, a plasma-derived experimental therapy in clinical development. This is being developed to treat Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. How does this differ from blood? What's in it and, and what's not in it? Sure. So if you take blood and you separate out all the red and white blood cells, what's left is largely this uh, sort of liquid portion of blood, or what we call plasma. And our plasma therapeutics that we're working on, so we have two, there's GRF6019 and GRF6021. Those are what we call plasma fractions. So they're very selected fractions. As you, as you imagine a sort of a plasma as this cocktail of this 10 to 15,000 proteins, what we do is work with our development partner, Griffles, and they actually have a very uh, rigorously controlled process for manufacturing from pooled plasma, so many, many thousands of, of donors, donors and volunteers, and they take that and fractionate out a large share of the very large molecular weight proteins, and then hopefully what's left is this uh, the sort of, when we get to the fraction that we're using, is four to 500 proteins that should be beneficial and should convey some some benefit. And what we've seen with those fractions, at least preclinically, is that they convey cognitive benefits, they convey motor benefits, they even can convey sort of a neurogenic benefit. So we're seeing neurogenesis, at least in mice, and we're now testing that on humans. So our first study will be this, you mentioned the mild to moderate Alzheimer's study, and that is fully enrolled, and we're expecting data from that sometime this summer. And so we're really excited to see what happens with that. Of course, you know, Alzheimer's is such a, such a, a tough state, and we've had so many drug failures in the face. And we hope that that is largely because it's a very multimodal disease, right? There's a lot of things that, that are happening in the Alzheimer's state. And so far, we've tended to be testing sort of the beta amyloid or tau hypotheses. And they don't seem to be working. I think it's something like something horrible, like a 99.6% failure rate on those clinical trials. So we're hoping that this plasma fraction, if you will, will be almost like a polypharmacy approach targeting multiple targets and pathways in the Alzheimer's disease state to try to make a difference. 
Did I understand you to say that you've actually seen not just the slowing of the progression of a condition, but a reversal of it in animal testing? In animal testing, we actually see neurogenesis, yes. So we can see in older mice, given these plasma fractions, they actually perform better on both cognitive and motor tests, they also, uh, and also inflammatory re reduction of infl inflammation. But we also see that they actually have a sort of a neuronal activation, and then uh, over a number of weeks, they actually have neurogenesis. So they are generating new neurons. So you're actually able to see physical changes, not just in older mice. Yeah, you're you're mm -hmm. able to see physical changes, not just in the 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 testing of running through a maze or something. Correct. Correct. Does it matter where the blood comes from that you derive your therapy from? Is, is there anything that needs to be done to to make sure the therapy is consistent in its mix of proteins? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned that we have a wonderful partnership with Griffles. Griffles is one of the largest plasma collectors and also producers. So they make a range of therapeutic products from the sort of um, the factor eight to the uh, IVIG pro, uh, products, et cetera. So they have a lot of experience with this, and that's why we wanted to partner with them. Because they, the experience is really critical. That A, you're using pooled plasma. So you're not just getting from one donor because of that, that it conveys a lot of safety benefits. There's rigorous controls for safety, infection, et cetera, obviously. And then they have this, as I mentioned, this sort of fractionation process. So what you're getting in the plasma fractions that we're using is very uniform, right? You don't have the heterogeneity of just giving someone plasma from one patient to, to another, right? You have a very uniform mixture from a completely pooled, set of thousands of donors that is then narrowed down and precipitated and fractionated until it's really the exact product that we're trying to give. Given the theoretical underpinnings of the treatment, is there an age requirement on donors? Sure. The, the standard donor uh, population ranges, and that's why we actually have plasma samples from 17 to 70. But I think that the average is somewhere in the, the low 30s. If you look at across all of the donors, I I know you're early in the the clinical studies, but do we know anything about the safety profile at this point? Sure. Well, on the on our uh, small molecule, the four two nine zero, which I mentioned, we actually have had now um, over sixty patients on our own studies exposed to the product, and also in additional earlier studies with our in licensing partner, and that has shown to be really safe. On the plasma fractions, so far we haven't seen any specific safety signals, and we'll be looking for that, of course, in this first phase. There was an earlier study that we did as well with whole plasma, and that was actually found to be safe and well-tolerated. But we really thought that this is the sort of safer and more practical long-term approach to go with these fractions. And in the current study, what, what are the endpoints you're using? Sure. So for the Alzheimer's studies, we try to use, uh, in fact, for all of our studies, we try to use relatively standard endpoints. So we are looking at ADIS-COG for uh, cognitive benefit and also looking at the activities of daily living for the, the sort of other sort of standard endpoint that you would use in Alzheimer's. 
in our Parkinson's study, which we have ongoing, which is also with a fracture, a plasma fraction called GRF6021, we are looking at cognitive benefits there as well. Although we'll also watch some on, on some of the motor benefits to see if there's a signal there. And then in age-related macular degeneration, we are using a, a what's called BCVA or best corrected visual acuity. And then we also look at safety, standard safety endpoints, of course, and then a number of exploratory endpoints. The other things that we do in all of our trials is we're taking proteomic samples throughout uh, throughout the treatment of the patients and, and sort of at the conclusion of the trials because we then are going back and analyzing this. Are there are there biomarkers that could provide us some some clue to sort of having a more selected population that would benefit? Or are there other proteomic changes that are happening because of treatment? These are the things we, we sort of want to keep going forward with. We obviously have a large research arm and we have our clinical arm, but then we also have this proteomics arm within the company, and they are constantly looking for new targets and also sort of understanding how our current targets work within human biology. Assuming the underlying basis for what you're doing is correct, that changes to the plasma proteome underlie diseases of aging, do you hope to identify more targeted interventions like you're doing with the CCL11 inhibitor, or are you betting that you'll have more broad benefits with a, a more complete offering of chronokines? That's a great question. I, you know, I think hopefully we'll end up with both, right? I think there is a real benefit to actually targeting more than one pathway. However, if you can find these targets that are really the sort of hub proteins that then have either upstream or downstream effects on, on all sorts of other signaling and, and protein and sort of cellular um, communication, then I think those are obviously a great target. I think long term on the beneficial proteins where we're, where we're using the plasma fractions now, we'd love to get to the place where we could make recombinant proteins and just do just a few proteins, right? Because it's all about benefit risk for human, um, human health, right? We don't be giving anyone anything that they don't need. We just want to give just the right amount. And the way we tend to think about it is we tend, I came from a long background in oncology, right? And this is true in infectious disease as well, that we've gotten to a place where we have a pretty good impact. In fact, we're bending the curve in oncology, and we've certainly bent it in some of the infectious diseases through a cocktail of, of molecules or a cocktail of drugs. And I think that's probably where we will end up, but we have, a, we have some work to go still to find out what's the best, the best setup. And I think there probably will be some place commercially and medically to have both these plasma fractions as, a, as an actual therapeutic, but then also to have specified uh, protein interventions as well. Elizabeth Jeffords, Chief Commercial and Strategy Officer for Alkahest. Elizabeth, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, thanks Danny. We're excited for what we'll see in the future. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.